Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That's Jesus' own declaration of what he's going to be looking for when he comes back. So I think it's important and worth a little bit of time to talk about what that might look like. What might faith on earth look like? And to do that, we have to um, define a few terms. And it's, this, this thing's been temperamental today. So um, to define a few terms, because when Roger asked me what I wanted to preach on way back when I was thinking, way back when I was thinking it was going to be in January, I, I had this parable of this persistent widow in mind, and it just, as I had more time to think about it and more time to change my mind, it never really went away, but I thought, Lord, there's just not, there's not that much there. What, what, what am I supposed to say? And, and as I continued to kind of dig into it, I realized that there is a connection of the persistent widow and the Pharisee and the tax collector and it's, it's a connection where faith is that link between those two parables. And so we're going to kind of unpack what that looks like as we walk through this passage this morning. And we need to define some terms to do that. So the first one we need to define or kind of come to an understanding of is faith. And um, faith for us in English is a noun. We don't really faith something. Um, That doesn't really make sense to us. We can believe something, but belief doesn't really capture the essence of what um, faith is in the Greek. Because that word pistis in the Greek is pistuo, is faith, and um, it's both a noun and a verb. So in Greek, it is very possible to faith something, but really not so in English. And so um, in looking and in discussing what might a better word be? Some, somebody came up with the idea of believe. And I think that's a good start because believe is, is getting at what faith is. But believe can be kind of one-sided. Um, you can believe a lot of things and still not really be able to do anything with believing. Um, but it's a good start. Um, and it doesn't always mean the right thing either because as James says in chapter 2 I think it's verse 9 it says even the demons believe and shudder so there is a an understanding of faith that does incorporate belief but belief isn't quite the proper or full context of what we might be talking about with faith here and so then we come to probably the best translation of it would be trust and trust is um, trust requires some sort of interaction some sort of response Um, so I can believe that this corner of this altar rail will support my weight right I, I can believe that but until I actually do this I'm not really demonstrating my trust of the fact that it will support my it creaked really loudly at 8 o'clock, and I thought, oh, <laughs> please work. Um, but it did. It held. And so my faith was affirmed in that, um, 
uh, that corner of that altar rail would support my weight. And so that is, um, that's probably a better picture or a better explanation of what we're talking about when we're talking about faith. It, it requires some sort of action, some sort of a response, some sort of a doing something. And that's kind of what James is talking about when he says faith without works is dead. Um, the other two words I would say we need to kind of, they're, they're I think Julie would probably call them hot topic words or something, but there's a lot of potential meaning in the word elect uh, when he's talking, when Jesus says, will he delong, he will not delay long in giving judgment to his elect. And there's the word of justice. And so um, those two are loaded words. And so let's start with um, this idea of election and just set aside hundreds of years of theological debate and let's just say what we're talking about here for the sake of this is God's people and so you have been chosen by God whether you have chosen God is up to you but you have been chosen by him um, that's a different sermon, more of a baptism sermon of God chose Abraham first and Abraham believed him and it was credited to him as righteousness. Uh, that's one of the key points of why we baptize infants in this denomination. But the elect will just sort of simplify it and say the believers, the God's people. And so if you believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sins. You believe that God raised him from the dead. I'm sorry, let me get that straight. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. That's Romans 10, I believe. So if we can just kind of hold those people, the ones that believe in their heart, confess with their lips, those are the people that we're talking about in the elect. Okay, so leave aside all predestination, pre, you know, all of those doctrinal things that have been debated over forever we'll say believers and we'll say um, confessing believers is who we're talking about here and then this idea of justice and that's a little bit um, even more slippery of a term because um, and I, I just out of curiosity looked this morning at the dictionary and the first definition of justice is a judge the second definition of justice was um, kind of right judgments, or it actually said just judgments, and I thought that was like one of the first rules in giving a definition is you can't use the word in the definition that you're trying to give, right? So it said, uh, it said um, the action of rendering just judgments. I thought, well, that's not very helpful. But the third definition kind of was, um, the third definition said... Um, conforming to the truth and so um, or in kind of parenthetically it had or the proper ordering of things and I thought well maybe that's actually closer that might work and so when we're talking about um, I promise we're going back to the persistent widow we're just getting our terms defined but when we're talking about giving justice to someone in this parable these two parables 
I think what we're talking about is God both revealing and distributing his character um, because his character is truth. His character is love. And so when we're talking about him administering justice in these parables, I think we're talking about conforming to the truth of who God is. Does that work for everybody? Just kind of give me a head nod if you're not asleep. Yes. Okay. So back to, back to our persistent widow. Um, on first reading, it looks like um, she gets what she wants because she nags God into it. Yes? Yeah. And I thought, that's going to be a really hard sermon to preach, Lord. What, what is this all about? Because that cannot be what's being said here. <clears throat> and in fact, that is kind of what's being said here, but not quite. And the way to understand what's actually being said here is to um, read the rhetorical questions that Jesus asks, um, or just read them as positive statements. And so if we look at, um, we'll start, but kind of jump to verse 6, and, uh, or we'll, I'll just read 5. So, so, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Nag, 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 right? <clears throat> and then the reading of this is, is tricky because it's a full stop period sentence. It says, and hear what, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, period. Meaning you got to look before to what he was thinking about. So that's what the unrighteous judge says, period, full stop. And then the rhetorical questions that he asked. He said, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day or night? Will he delay long over them? So if we read those rhetorical questions, this is positive. God will give justice to his elect when they cry to him day and night. He will come to, him, come to them speedily. He will not delay so that makes more sense, at least by my reading of it. That, that sort of puts it a little bit better than the way it reads in the rhetorical questions and in thinking about what this judge says. And so when we think about these words of justice and his elect, he will not delay in giving them justice. Speedily, he will do it. It, it doesn't mean that we got to wear him down. It means we need to keep asking, keep asking, keep asking. And it probably means that if we don't get the answer we want, we need to either change what we're asking or change the way that we're asking. Because that is the character of God. He only gives what is good for us. He, only get, he allows us to do all kinds of bad things, but he only gives to us good gifts. We see that in Matthew 7. In Luke 11, uh, they say, ask, seek, knock. A little bit difference in the translation, I mean, in the two um, Gospels. But basically, Luke says, how many of you fathers among you, even though you're, you're evil and horrible, how, how many of you would, if your son comes to you looking for a fish, would you give him a snake? Or comes to you looking for bread, would you give him a stone? Um, there's an egg and a stone in there, too, and one of the ones. But... The end result is, 
you who are evil still know how to give good gifts to your children, so how much more will your good, perfect, heavenly Father either give good gifts in Matthew or the Holy Spirit to you in Luke? So in Matthew, God gives good gifts. In Luke, God gives the Holy Spirit, which is really the best gift because that's the gift of himself to us. So um, giving justice, revealing and giving right judgments, that's the character of God. And if we're not getting what we're asking for, asking the same thing over again may not be the right way to be praying, but we shouldn't stop praying. We should think about, maybe ask the Lord how we should pray. What should we be praying for? You know, Solomon asked for wisdom and got everything else because he asked, the, he asked for the right thing and got everything else. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and all the rest will be given to you. Um, it's not about... Yeah, maybe it has to do with the children, but it's not about just asking the question over and over again. Can I have, 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 why not, why not, can I have, can I have, can I have. It, 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 that's not how we're supposed to pray. When the answer is no, we reshuffle and say, well, what can I have for dinner? <laughs> if it's not going to be this, then what can it be? And I think that's what we see. I'm all kind of out of sorts with my notes, but that's okay. Um, I think that's what we see when we look at the second parable. He told this parable, I'm at verse 9, Jesus told this parable to those, to some, who trusted in themselves. Trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Have you ever been sure that you're right? Come on, people. I mean, everybody's been sure that they're right, right? Um, and have you ever realized that you maybe weren't? <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it, we have a joke in our marriage. I've forgotten to do this often enough, but it, it's the easiest way to end an argument is to say, you're right, you're right, I know you're right. <laughs> Okay, you're right, you're right, I know you're right. But we can be so sure, we can be just like this Pharisee, that we are so sure that we're right, that the result can be exactly what happens here, that we treat other people with contempt. We can be so sure of our rightness that we can treat other people the wrong way. And so he gives this example. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, a Pharisee, a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this way. I thank you, God, that I am perfect. I am not like other men. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not even like that tax collector over there. I do what I'm supposed to do. Fast twice a week, I give alms to the poor, I show up at church on Sunday, I do all the stuff I'm supposed to do. Surely, I'm better than this guy, is kind of what he's saying. I'm better than this guy. But the tax collector, I imagine, I just imagine, he's standing in the back, kind of in the corner, off by himself, won't even lift up his eyes. 
He's beating his breast. He's saying, Lord, have mercy on me because I'm a sinner. He knows the truth. He, um, there's a good definition of humility that says humility is not bringing yourself lower. It's just seeing yourself in truth. And when we see ourselves in truth, we can recognize our need for a savior. We can see how our own behaviors are not um, just merciful or even kind sometimes, but we can recognize that we need mercy. And um, Jesus goes on to say, I tell you, this guy, the one who knows that he needs mercy, the one who's pleading for that mercy because he knows that he's a sinner, he went down justified. And so, again, there's that word justified in this passage, that idea of um, conforming to the truth, of being um, vindicated, I guess is the right way to say it, but probably too strong of a word. And Jesus finishes by saying, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. And so if we look at these two together and we think about how, how are they connected. So when the Lord comes, we got to pray like this. We should always be asking God, always be after God for, for, for whatever. I mean, this woman was after justice, but we should always be after God, what do you want? For, for me, what do you want for my family? What do you want for my children and my grandchildren? What, what is it that, it that conforms, again, using that definition of justice, that conforms to the truth of who you are about my life? We should always be asking that. We should never stop asking that. But um, it's not that we're wearing God down, but that as we begin to ask that, we begin to ask the right questions, which is, what would you have me to do? And the answer to that is striking because Jesus says, well, when I come back, I'm going to be looking for people that are asking that question and doing something about it, that are responding in faith to what the character of God is. And if we believe and know that God is love, that God is perfect that he is holy and if we are setting ourselves after God's perfect holy plan for our lives then we're always asking what's next and we're always responding and moving in that direction y'all tracking with me yeah so when he comes back will he find people doing that will he find people living that way or is he going to find people that show up at church on 1045 and pay their tithes and do good deeds and say, at least I'm not like that guy. And I'm meddling here. I know that. I'm not really pointing fingers at anybody here. I'm just saying this Pharisee was a really, really, really good religious person. Really good. He did everything that was expected of him, probably more. And he used that as a justification for himself so that he could not look at other people mercifully. The tax collector knew that he had kind of a rotten job. Nobody liked him, and he, uh, 
did not have any standing or reputation. He was certainly not um, as nearly as perfect as that Pharisee was, but he knew that. And he said, Lord, have mercy on me because I'm a sinner. I need your grace. I need your favor. I need your goodness. I need your redemption, Lord. I need your restoration. And Jesus says, this guy gets it. And he will be conformed to the truth of who God is. That word justice, again. He will be um, justified, conformed to the truth of who God is. Because he gets it. And he knows that he needs it. And so, will he find faith? Will Jesus find faith when he comes back? That's the real question. So, what does it look like, practically, just to begin to draw things to a close, what does it look like for us to have faith? Well, it could be very simple. Um, it could just be that we believe and trust and respond and believe in that trust. Maybe we get a nudge for some, like we see somebody in the grocery store and they're obviously not doing well on a walker and, and struggling. And the Lord just says, you know, give them a hand. That's an opportunity for faith. You can help them out because you're responding to that little nudge from what the Lord told you to do. It's also a good deed, but that's not why you do it. You do it in faith and in obedience because it's what the Lord told you to do. You could quit your job and then go and sell everything that you have to follow Jesus in some you know, missionary style in some African country. I know people that have done that. They live an extraordinary life. Um, it's a very difficult life, and it's a very different life. And, and I find it personally, I find that to be very challenging. I'm just being honest. I, I find that part to be very challenging. But I don't find it to be all that difficult or challenging to go to someone with a cast on or their arm in a sling and say, hey, uh, I don't know where you are with your faith, but would you mind if I prayed for you? And just ask if I can you know, just put a hand on their shoulder and just pray for them. And, and you know, sometimes, not all the time, because sometimes it's not the right question. But when it is the right question to ask and I, I ask the Lord to heal them, he does. That's a real good opportunity for me to say, <laughs> I got it. Right? I could become that Pharisee in a moment when the Lord uses me that way. Because, wow, that person was healed. That ear that was deaf was opened. I've seen both of those things happen. But maybe that's not what the Lord's calling you to do in terms of stepping out in faith. But as I trust Him more, I get more opportunities to trust him and trust him in bigger and greater ways. And so faith leads to obedience, which leads to an opportunity for more faith. And it's this beautiful, deepening relationship, which is what he wants. There are all kinds of ways that this could be an opportunity for you to say, Lord, what do you want me to do to grow in my faith so that I can serve you better 
and know you more fully, and most importantly, be more conformed to the truth of who you are and who you want me to become. Ask the Lord to do that, and he will. Ask him to be gentle, and he will. If you're scared of it, say, Lord, I'm scared of it. Don't put me out on a big limb up way up high. Just keep me close to the, you know, let me, let me start right here with this element of faith and trust this thing first, and then we'll start walking the tightrope. But let me, you know, let, me, let me ease into it, and he will. But we can't be like the person who says, I've got it all together. Because that is going to lead us into trusting ourselves and ultimately into um, antagonistic relationships with others. But if we're asking the Lord and seeking to follow the Lord and letting him lead us in this journey of faith, we will be transformed little bit by little bit into conformed and transformed into who he has created us to be and who he's called us to be. So... For a first reading where it's like, well, she just nagged him into obedience (laughs) and getting what she wanted. To looking at the way these two are connected, I think it's worth looking at. And it's worth thinking about because um, we can all be more persistent in prayer. We can all be more humble in the way we respond and interact with others. And we can all be aware of the fact that we might have a little bit of, well, at least I'm not like that guy in us. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you that um, all scripture is God-breathed and that um, even these stories by Jesus that um, seem pretty straightforward, have so many layers and so um, so much to teach us and so much to show us. And I pray, Lord, that you would settle your Holy Spirit upon us right now. That as um, as we think about and process um, these two stories and how they both are linked together with faith, Lord, I pray that you would make us a people of real, active, and sincere faith. A people that really does trust you and really does want to please you. I thank you that, um, that in Hebrews, your word says that the faith pleases God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so, Lord, increase our faith so that we can trust you and so that we can know you more fully and that we can be transformed more and more into your image and likeness. Lord, I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.